Dotnet Rocks episode 615 with guest Martin Woodward. Recorded live Monday, November 29th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahio Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Hey, groovy guys and gals, it's Carl and Richard. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> what are you doing? We got stacks and stacks of wax and we're burning for you down on the beach. I hear you. Nobody knows that reference I don't know. anymore. I don't know, man. I'm feeling very radio-ish today. Yeah, cause... but the LPs are so out of date. Kids these days don't even know what CDs are anymore. Yeah, you know, never heard the term stacks of wax. Stacks of wax means nothing. <laughs> nothing, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the reason I'm feeling radio-ish today is because we're back in the studio finally after... Months. Months of months on the road. Literally months. I mean, we did a few sh- regular shows in between all of our of our field shows, yeah. but it's mostly been field shows and uh, the live weekend shows for months. Right. So we got a better know framework. We got an email. We got... It's just like old times Just today. like old times, my friend. Yeah. So why don't we get right into it? All right. All right. So you know about behaviors and triggers... In Silverlight and WPF. We've sure. talked about these before. Yeah. When you use expression blend, uh, in, in, there is installed in the GAC a system.windows.interactivity uh, DLL. Hmm. But it's a shared DLL. So when you reference that in a Visual Studio project and then you go to deploy that uh, project, that DLL don't come with it. Interesting. Because copy local isn't set to true by default. Okay. So you can either, you know, download it uh, if you just, if you, this issue is all, and it's an old issue, but if you look for system.windows.interactivity.dll, you look for that with Bing or whatever or Google, you'll find links to it, or you can just set copy local to true, and then you'll get a, a nice fresh copy of it. And there, there are issues with that, of course. So just be aware that this is an issue, and, um, you know, if you're going to be using expression blend and the blend SDK, you need to make sure that your end users of your Visual uh, Studio built .NET application, WPF or Silverlight, also have access to that. Okay. System.windows.interactivity. Know it, learn it, love it. Awesome. So who's talking to us? Uh, This is a representative email of a whole chain of conversations we've had lately, and I know you've been seeing them as well because these are big topics to me. This is a... Well, let me just read it to you. Okay. I'm a long-time listener to .NET Rocks, and I love the show. I've written in before about shows, but this email is a little bit different. I wanted to email you guys to see if you've heard about an upcoming movie called Waiting for Superman. A movie? Waiting for Superman? Yes. You might ask why I'm telling you about a movie, and the reason is it directly relates to the future of America and IT. Hmm. Our school systems are failing us, and hmm. this movie is an attempt to show the failing of our schools in the U.S. and hopefully become a catalyst for change. Hmm. One of the people who is pushing this is Bill Gates. Yeah. I thought it might be interesting to take a look and maybe give a plug for the movie on the show. I really think it's important for the future of the U.S. for as many people as possible to see this movie and want to make change. The URL for the movie is www.waitingforsuperman.com. Mm. Thanks and keep up the great work from Chuck Haynes. Chuck, yeah. thanks so much for your email. Uh, mug on the way to you. 
Uh, I have not seen this movie, but I know about it. But it's interesting how often this conversation is coming up lately. Uh, we want to come at it from the conversation about development, but we both have kids in school. Yep. And we know there are serious problems with our school system. Well, we talked about this with Bill Pugh on uh, at Ordev. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't record the conversation we had with Nolan Bushnell right. about that. And um, yeah, I wish I had gotten in on that uh, interview, by the way, but um, I was feeling a little under the weather. But um, we had these great discussions after your interview with him and also at the closing session at Ordev about some ideas that he's had about reforming education absolutely uh in fact let me uh let me read one more email i don't normally do this okay. but this is another email on the same topic just to really prove and we'll send out two mugs what the heck right, let's yeah, live on not? the edge man. yeah yeah uh because it's directly related to that conversation in 613 uh hi richard just listen to your interview with nolan bushnell on show 613 having kids at that malleable age right now makes the topic super fascinating for me mm. as I'm always looking to engage with them in ways that complement how they interact with the world. Yeah. Nolan said quite a few things that are covered in some detail in the latest RSA animate video entitled Changing Education Paradigms. Oh, got to see that. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this site, but it is not an exaggerated to say I find it simply mind-blowing. All the RSA stuff is awesome. Yeah. Not only are the talks themselves captivating in their own right, Due to the expertise and lucidity of the speakers, but the message reinforcement you get from the visualization is most compelling. And uh, let me tiny URL this link. While you're doing that, what is RSA? I know it is a uh, um, a security protocol, encryption protocol. Yeah, uh, RSA Animate is uh, a company that does these these crazy uh, RSA. Uh, Vision Animations is a totally different organization. Oh, okay. So, so this is they they do like what uh, flash animation kind of thing. It's uh, it's a what it is is a you, you'd have to see it. I mean, right. It's one of those things. It's basically drawing on a whiteboard, but they've synchronized the drawing on the whiteboard to the talk. Okay. So they take this sort of ten minute chunk out of a talk, huh. and that is you know important, and they help. A creative visualization for oh, it in sort of a cartoony way. I did hear about this. It's it's really unbelievable. And the one that that uh, um, that Rob Sadler here and Rob, thanks for your email. We've gone back and forth a couple of times uh, separately. Is the the RSA on uh, on education with Nolan Bushnell? Um, no, with uh, with Ken Robinson, who's one oh, okay. of these top education experts, who's really articulated the problem with education in a very deep way. I mean, his point is the public education system was set up in the late, in the early 1900s, yeah. specifically to train people for industrialization. For industrialization and to work around agricultural schedules. Right. And it's There's all so many, out of date. Now. It's so out of date. There's so many things we know about teenagers, like they're bodies need more sleep so you need to let them sleep in the morning yeah. i've heard of schools that start at 2 p.m and go to 5 p.m when teenagers are most focused right and they're getting better results and this is what nolan was talking about in his show was you know architecting the thing the right way rob gave me the link to the rsa animate from ken robinson then i went and watched the which is only 10 minutes long yeah and then i watched the whole one hour session that uh that robinson did the entire topic which is even better and now i've turned around and bought all his books because oh, the guy's brilliant i gotta see this so i uh, absolutely highly recommend watching this uh it's very very compelling and it's really exciting to think about 
how we're going to integrate technology into teaching a different way because we're coming to this crisis point. And Robinson's incredibly optimistic. His his one hour conversation wraps up with this whole Death Valley story because hmm. this is you know you, when you start talking about how much trouble we are in with education, you get really down. Yeah. And his point was, as soon as we get the right system in place, everything will light up. And his right. Death Valley reference was great because here's Death Valley, everything's always dead. Right. And then first time in a thousand years, it rained there. And the place was covered in flowers. Yeah. So the some... point was, if we can fix the system, it will light up and it'll light up fast. With lots of ideas about how to make it work. Well, anyway, we don't want to belabor this point, but just to get excited about this as we are, and we'll keep you uh, posted any any sort of new developments that we... Yeah, we're keeping see. our eyes out. And if you got questions, concerns, ideas, thoughts about shows, send us an email, Franklins.net. And hey, uh, you know, our friends at Infusion are hiring fast and furious down in, in Poland, in Dubai, in London, in New York, and in Toronto. So if you're looking for a career change and you want to work with a company that's really creative. Nick Landry works uh, for Greg Brill down at Infusion. And they, you know, they, they do improv theater. That's like a requirement that you have to do like improv acting just to, to keep your brain creative. Uh, it's a wonderful company to work with. So if you're interested in that, send me an email, carl at franklins.net, and I'll hook you up with the right people. Our guest today on .NET Rocks is Martin Woodward. He is the program manager for Visual Studio Team Explorer Everywhere and part of the Team Foundation server group at Microsoft. He helps to ensure that Eclipse and cross-platform developers are a thriving part of the TFS ecosystem. Before joining Microsoft, Martin worked for Team Prize and was also voted Team System MVP of the Year. He co-authored the book Professional Application Lifecycle Management with Visual Studio 2010, and is currently working on his next book, Professional Team Foundation Server 2010. When not working or writing, Martin can be found over on his blog at woodwardweb.com. Welcome back, Martin. Welcome. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, everyone. It's good to be here. You have had a busy year. Yes, you have. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's been quite a, quite a roller coaster ride. So I think the, the last time we spoke, I was uh, still working for the Team Prize. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there I was, happily working away for a little startup for Eric Sink. You know, you guys know Eric. Sure, sure. And um, we were, you know, busily working away. And then obviously did a good job because Microsoft decided to buy us, which was nice. So, and did you know uh, yeah. this was coming? Pardon? Did you, did you know the acquisition was coming or did it blindside you? Oh, you know, it, it takes a little time for those sorts of things to come about. You know, we had to had to get interviewed because we didn't actually they didn't actually buy. Um, it's probably worth a step back. Um, okay. Team Prize was a a partner company that used to work with Microsoft that uh, developed um, the Eclipse and cross platform client for Team Foundation Server. Right. And, and we'd done that since two thousand and five. You know, we were there at the launch in two thousand and five, and have been going along ever since. Um, we, you know, we were doing a good job. We were happy as we were, you know, everything was working quite well. Customers were happy. But one of the things, um, Microsoft were finding is that, um, it was an essential part of the, the team foundation server story, uh, to have the cross platform and the, um, you know, the Eclipse developers on board. Mm. No matter how productive Visual Studio is ever going to be as a development environment and, you know, Microsoft wanted to be the most productive. And no matter how productive the uh, Windows Server is and IIS and things like that, they're always going to there's always going to be Java development in an organization in most organizations. There's always going to be some you know Perl development or PHP development or something like that. So um, yeah, they, they found this was 
increasingly people wanted to standardize on Team Foundation Server for source control and work item tracking and those sorts of things and build management. Um, but they wanted to, you know, they wanted to use one solution from one vendor. And so they decided to come along and, and buy the technology from, from Eric. So, you know, team prize technology, um, and, and hire the developers away. So I got, I had to go through all my job interviews, you know, have all my full round of interviews at Microsoft. And then, you know, they offered me a job and I came across. Now, are you still in England? I am, yeah. So I, I live in Northern Ireland, so I don't know, but um, I'm a remote team member. All the rest of the team, the guys were based in Illinois, um, and they all moved over to North Carolina, uh, right. where a lot of the Team Foundation server team are based. Um, so they're in sunny North Carolina, and I get to be a remote a remote team member, which is, um, you know, I've been doing it for five years, but it's still it's a, a challenge, something you have to work work through. Well, it seems like you actually gained a time zone if they've moved to North Carolina. Yeah, it was actually easy for me. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be so good if half the team are in half the TFS team are in North Carolina and the other half are in Redmond. And I definitely find, you know, working with the Redmond guys more challenging for time zones and things. So what is this everywhere thing you talk mm. about? So you know, from Team Prize to Team Explorer everywhere. That's that's how Microsoft naming conventions go, isn't it? It's not never a shorter one. But um it's Everywhere, because um, I, we actually write a client for Team Foundation Server in Java, believe it or not. Okay. I'm an Eclipse plugin, no less. So I'm in the Visual Studio team, and I'm an Eclipse developer. Mm-hmm. That means I don't get to go to anybody's parties. Mm. Yeah, that's and, um, interesting. We, it's all written in Java. It's a 100% Java client. There is a little bit of, of native code in there, but that's JNI code, so we, 99.9% Java. And, and that talks to the web services that Team Foundation Server exposes. So TFS is a very open platform for doing application lifecycle right. management and very extensible. And we, we use those same extension points that Visual Studio was using back when we were a separate company. And, and now we're part of Microsoft. We sort of get to feed into the requirements and just make sure that Team Foundation Server can be accessed by anyone, anywhere. The main thing is just being able to do it without running Studio, that there are other tools you can use. Yeah, without running Visual Studio, you know, you can be in Eclipse on Windows or even you can be, you know, on the Mac um, or, or on Linux or something like that or Solaris, HPUX, one of those crazy operating systems. Wherever you mm. have developers, those, you know, we will go and meet your developers where, where they are and help them develop in the product, not make you come to us. So what are the kinds of things that people, that Java developers in particular, like or dislike about uh, team system. Ah, great question. Well, one of the one of the things that people first come is you know, they're always a bit skeptical. You know, Microsoft. What's you know what? what yeah, sure. What you're going to have a solution, and um, so we tend to I tend to just show them the context menu in Eclipse. So we're quite um, say in an Eclipse developer, which you know Eclipse is the most popular IDE to do driver development. In. Right. So I'll, I'll install the plugin into Eclipse and. Um, just right click on a file and instantly you know their whole it's not the best ui but their whole screen fills up with all the options of things they can do in source control and they yeah. can see already wow this is this is a lot more rich in experience than i thought it was going to be um and then they can go in and you know check files in check files out all that sort of thing branch merge and you know do builds and things um so i think it's the initial suspicion is the hardest bit to get over. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, that this isn't going to be a first-class solution. But once they start using it, they realize, hang on, no, this is a 
this is a real product. This is, this is written in Java. It's not some crazy, you know, bridged into .NET or anything. It's written in Java as an Eclipse plugin for Eclipse developers, you know, respecting all the Eclipse mechanisms. You know, Richard, I don't know about you, but um, the Java developers I know tend to be fairly, um, uh, what do I want to say, like independent of, like non-Eclipse developers. Do you do you know uh, any, you know, serious Eclipse developers, Richard? I mean, the ones that I know tend to, you know, just work with whatever, you know, free tools they can find. And, yeah, well, every time I run into Eclipse developers, it's a big Java shop. It's a yeah. larger organization. But and but I'm with you know the I think the point you're trying to get to here is there's Git there's Subversion like these right. things work yeah. how do you argue with the free tools right right so in that case it's all about we're more than just version control so often um, and again it's it's when enterprises want to you know standardize around a platform and they want to I imagine get... what you're saying Martin is that you by the time you come around you've got visual studio team system in house now we just got to get our java developers happy right potentially or, or it's more they look at the problems they have so you know they have um all these different tool sets in the company, you know, like the Java guys working over in Subversion, say, and Jira or something like that, and the .NET guys over in, I don't know, SourceSafe or some, heaven forbid, something like that. And you've got all these silos of information, and yet the, when a requirement comes in, a requirement um, doesn't just doesn't just stop at a technology boundary, you know? It, right. it doesn't just stop at your ASP front end. It might need to go into your Java middleware or whatever. And companies are really keen on getting transparency over what's happening in the entire development process not not just their little silos mm. and also the, the the sick of having to manage lots of different systems get them integrated together you know different authentication mechanisms not treating their development systems as a production system you, you know often developers will just set up like a source safe repository or something under a desk somewhere and a build yeah. server under somebody else's desk right. and those things can be quite fragile and as the team sizes build up um when one of those things goes down and breaks because you know it's just like a little box sat in a corner it can really hurt productivity yeah and and so people are people are out there looking for a solution that will um allow them to standardize on a platform for all their developers and, um, right. yeah, they come and often they'll not have already picked Team Foundation Server. Oh. Um, they'll be evaluating TFS with some other products. Or maybe they'll say, well, let's take, you know, all the open source world and in integrate it together ourselves. And then let's take TFS on the other side as a, you know, turnkey solution. And let's compare the two and let's see see what benefits we get. And um, I've, you know, I, off, I always say to our guys, if you, if you actually put people in that position and get them to try it, um, they always go for Team Foundation Server. It's amazing. You know, it's um, a great place to be in with a product when uh, you just yeah. need to get people to try it for them actually to want to use it. So the interesting thought here is, as of 2010, TFS is only 500 bucks. Exactly, it's cheaper yeah. than SourceSafe now. Yeah, if like if you're not, it's the studio clients that cost the money. So if you're yep. going down the Eclipse route, like this is actually pretty cost effective. But you've got to think beyond source control because source control is free. All right, so let's think about our listeners out there. Probably not okay. Java developers, probably .NET developers. Maybe they're using TFS, and maybe they're going to find themselves in a meeting pretty soon where somebody is arguing for for using everywhere. And, you know, our listeners, not 
knowing a heck of a lot about Java, or maybe maybe they're former Java developers. What can we tell them to to make the the argument uh, being a .NET developer? You know, how, what what information can we can we give to them to to help them uh, navigate through that meeting? So um, the key thing is that it's um, the Java developer is a peer in the system. If they want, to, if you know, they have all the same um, privileges and abilities to do work with the Team Foundation server to check in as the .NET guys can. So the first thing to get around is, no, you're not going to be a, you know, just a nice pat on the head, Mr. Java guy, you know, here, here throw your bone type thing. It, right. You are going to be part of the core team. You know, you're there, fully integrated. Um, and it gives them everything they want to do, source control, work item tracking, so tracking of bugs and features. Builds even, so you can automate builds, and you can do all this really easily and simply and it's just a matter of installing a standard eclipse plugin into the environment they're already in so really we're talking about everything you can do in tfs yeah just for the java guys is there anything else yeah from everywhere yeah is there anything that they do not have access to that they should or uh are there things that they'll need that are specific to java that the net developer doesn't necessarily have Yes to both. <laughs> so um, what we do is we focus on uh, making sure the the Java developer is supported in Eclipse. Say, so what we don't have is um, uh, administration type stuff. So like creating a new team project or managing security permissions, things that the administrators do. Got it. Those guys still live in the administration tools and in VS. Um, it's just for developers. And and then, but we do do some things which are specific to Eclipse. So, for instance, there's um, in Eclipse there's a thing called a synchronized view, which is it basically a very easy way of looking at your workspace and comparing that with you know the, what's on the server and seeing the differences. Right. And and that's there. Um, and then also things like Java builds. Obviously, if you're creating a build definition, um, you know, on Visual Studio, then it's great that a build. Show, we'll build a solution file, but that's no good to you as a as a Java developer. Um, so right. in the Java builds, it will um, point at an Ant build script or a Maven build script and say, "Hey, you know, build one of these for me on the build server, please." Interesting. Awesome. But it, I mean, we generally the scenario we're painting here is you're only going to do this in a mixed environment. Yeah, yeah. I, I have had bumped into a couple of customers who. We've got like a minority of .NET, right? But um, yeah, it's only when the the real value is in the is in seeing the transparency. You know, once you start checking in code, and you've got your work items there in the IDE, regardless of what IDE you're in, you find that people start using them. I don't know if you've found this, Richard. When you go into companies, we've got TFS. So actually, people start asking for tasks and start asking for bugs and things to log things against because it's right. just there and easy. Um, and because um, the same things there in both the Java world and the .NET world, now when a feature goes across the two, or you can start to compare, you know, where where is this feature in terms of finished? Um, and you get live data coming back from the system. It's just it's hugely powerful for organizations just to see exactly where they are. And project managers can stop, you know, bothering you and saying, are you done yet? Are you done yet? And they can just go look in Excel. And, and That's what I was thinking. Know. This It's tough to drive developers on this because they largely mm. don't care. The only mm. way that a developer really benefits is they get harassed by management less. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> 
But where they do care is that things are easy to use, though, you know, that it's easy to check stuff in and check stuff out, that it just all happens inside the IDE. You know, a lot of people we talk to are still using older version control systems and things where they don't even have a, a decent IDE integration. No. Either into the Studio clips. And just being able to show them, hey, look, you can, you know, right-click on a file, do refactor, and it renames the file. And not only does it rename the file for you, it also renames it in source control so that when you check it in, you've still got history between where the file was and where the file is now. And it deletes the old file name from your local file system, so it's not populating things there. So there's plenty in it for a developer as well. But, yeah, getting the manager off your back is a big is a big uh, win. Okay. But I, I think there's an interesting point to this that – if I'm in a Java majority shop, I'm going to be pressed to use Subversion or Git, as a, which I can use as a .NET developer. There's no question that'll work. Yeah. It's just very interesting to turn that conversation around and say, hey, you guys will all be better off in TFS. And it, we've actually had a couple of case studies recently. Um, there's one that wasn't that recent, but it's Thomson Reuters, and they were actually a majority. You can get the case study on the Microsoft site, but they were a majority not .NET shop. But when they looked at all the transparency and things and, you know, the ability to be able to integrate source code with work items and have it all tightly bound, um, they decided to go for it with everyone, even though they weren't majority.net. Interesting. Because that's the thing yeah. with TFS. We, we talked about it before when I've been on, but because um, it's storing all this data in the same database, you know, it's a SQL Server backend. Right, because um, all this data gets stored in that same database, it's very easy to report across data, and you can start project managers can start mining it for interesting stuff, you know, like what the code churn is related to bugs and things like that, or whatever you want to do. But yeah, it's hugely powerful once you have all the data in one place with one set of credentials to access it. Hey, Martin, what is the does the team system team use team system to build team system? <laughs> hey, my head just exploded. <laughs> yeah, but we're not called Team System anymore. Oh, <laughs> but um, yeah, the Visual Studio Application Lifecycle Management Team do yeah, indeed, okay. indeed use Team yeah. Nation Server to build Team so Nation Server. TFS yeah. is used to build TFS. Yeah, so we um, I mean, the whole of developer division is now over on Team Foundation Server, and and there's lots of lots of people inside Microsoft also on Team Foundation Server. Let me see. If, yeah, I think there's just putting up some stats here. There's um. In Microsoft, there's currently just under 20,000 uh, unique users yeah. using Team Foundation Server uh, in wow. 6,000 projects. Wow. And there's uh, 42 actual instances of TFS. You know, most times we talk to people and say, hey, you know, TFS, if you need more than one, one, because an instance of TFS can take thousands of people. Right. And if you sure. need more, more than one TFS box, then, you know, you probably Microsoft or IBM, so you probably, you know, that probably your decision made for you. But, um, yeah, 42 instances. 7.9 million work items entered in our current system. Oh, geez. And, uh, Big Brother is calling uh, home, I see. Yeah, there's a lot of work. <laughs> Are those all software development projects? Could you be managing yep. other stuff with TFS? It's for software development. So right. they're all, you know, Microsoft do a lot of software development. Yeah. Not just, not just developing products, but also in-house, you know, in-house IT. So, um, yeah, we do a lot of that. I'm just looking as well. You like this, Richard. These are the stats for the... Our this is the TFS instance that we run, developer division, mm -hmm. and it's seventeen point three terabytes of data. Wow! The largest table has got four point three billion rows in it at Jeez. three terabytes. Wow! So, and, uh, that must be and some honking hardware. Over a hardware. billion files in. How, how many noughts is that? Yeah, over a billion files. That's crazy. I'd love to see the 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 rack of clusters that 
that thing runs on. Yeah, it's an expensive old you know, storage <laughs> area network. Yeah, that's cheap. a SAN. That's a big old SAN. That's racks and racks of drives. Yeah. Uh-huh. Remember, they want to back that up too. It would be bad to lose it. Well, that's it. true. We have <laughs> we we have it duplicated. You know, because obviously you need to be able to you bring don't it back, back up, up something like that. You just duplicate it. Yeah. So it's yeah. um it's it's good fun. In fact, we did a lot of work in 2010 around making it easier to host Team Foundation Server, you know, internally as well as externally. So in terms of, um, you know, having multiple application tiers, there's, there's a split between databases and data tiers, uh, which you can have, you know, like a normal SQL cluster or whatever. Um, and then above that, you can have application tier machines, which is an ASP.NET, you know, front end. It's an application running the ASP.NET. Um, and they they can all be um, you know pointing to the same database and and serve and pretend to be one big TFS server under a under a load balancer or something. So you can get crazy big if you want to, Richard. Yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret though that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. Richard, were you uh, the the co-host on the show? Because I can't remember when we first started talking about Team System, and it might have even been Joel Semeniak. But um, we first started talking to Microsoft about Team System when it was called Team System. And uh, we asked that same question. Does the Team System team use Team System to build Team System? And the answer was no. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah that was over show 100. So Yeah, I think so. Because it's you know, in the 2005 time frame, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, there was lots of, you know, during, that's one of the things as well um, we learned during, again, this was before my time in the company. But in the 2005 time frame, you know, that re- you remember the Widby release, it was a, even as a beta tester, it was quite challenging for us to use because you had to install CTPX of this and blah, blah, blah of that. It was, it yeah. was quite bad. And there's lots of dependencies. I found the show. It was, it was June 13th, uh, 2005, and we did it live at TechEd. We interviewed wow. Eric Lee, uh, AJ Sudan, and yeah. Michael Lee Worthy. Wow, there we go. Yeah, all those guys are still around. Yep, I remember them. And and that was one of the questions on the show. So the, team, the Team Foundation Server team have always been using Team Foundation Server because, you know, my, dog fooding, as Microsoft called right, it, is very right, important right. to those guys. But, yeah, it took a while to get everybody over. Yeah, it was so new back then. Um, but uh, it, it's just sure interesting how it has evolved. Yeah, without a doubt. It's also interesting when you go into some of the other groups in Microsoft as well, you know, and start talking to those guys, you know, like the... Um, you know, there, there are some parts of the company that have, uh, you know, are even busier than DevDiv. So, like, when you talk to the Office and Windows teams, you know, their requirements are pretty huge. Is there anything specific we need to talk about for the Java developers and how to do builds? 
or is it pretty much standard? Yeah, for the, the build, way? there's actually um, the uh, if you go to the um, TFS Power Tools, so um, ti- I'll t- have tiny URL this one. I'd, so tinyurl.com/tfpower. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'll take your link, and that'll explain the Power Tools and things. There's um, there's build extensions, and, and that's basically a set of fi- extensions you can install on your build server that will then allow the build server to know about a Java build, you know, so an Ant or a Maven build. And how that works is it, it allows um, Workflow Foundation, which is how builds are run now, and mm-hmm. it allows that to wrap a call to Ant or to Maven and then get data back from it. So, you know, figure out all the build steps and publish that into Team Foundation server. Was the build good or bad? And publish that into Team Foundation server. And then um, it'll also take the JUnit test results because obviously, you know, right. they write tests in JUnit, not in, not in unit or in all Microsoft tests. So um, write the tests in JUnit and it'll turn those test data and publish that to Team Foundation Server. So all the builds are there along with JUnit test data and things. And that's a demo I always like to give is to show a, like, fail the build over an Eclipse, check ah. it in, you know, fail a build, right. and then go look at the build failure from Visual Studio and see the JUnit test failing inside Visual Studio and get the Java stack trace from there. Not that you can nice. do much cool. on it from there, but it's still it's interesting to show this, uh, this level of integration. Is Eclipse a requirement on the Java side? You have to run Eclipse to do this? No, I mean, people use different IDEs. So um, Eclipse is the most popular Java IDE and all the, de- all the IDEs based on top of Eclipse, like Rational Application Developer from right. IDM things. But um, there are other people as well. Do So Microsoft do the Eclipse integration because Eclipse is an open source project and we can, you know, we can hook in there easily. Uh, but say um, IntelliJ is another popular IDE from the guys at JetBrains, you know, JetBrains, the guys yep. at mm-hmm. Sharper. Mm-hmm. They also do IntelliJ. Um and they themselves do a, um, a TFS integration. So, and that feeds back to what I was saying before about making sure that TFS is this open platform, you know, that allows us to have this rich third party of, of, um, of people building on TFS. But your dev think, tool does need to have some form of integration with TFS. You can't just take any old file and check it in. You could, but then you need to be a separate client. You know, you, you could use the command line client or right. or whatever, you know, to, to check it in. But you don't get that rich IDE integration. You okay. get a lot of productivity gains. But there is always the command line option if you've got your favorite Vim editor and that's yeah, what you're yeah. going to use. You can use Vim if you want. I mean, all, all code is created equal as far as TFS concerned. It's just okay. bytes. It just checks them in. It doesn't care what they're written in. Yeah, it's cool. just that I know there's some resistance to the plugin model as well. I'm, there's always, a, you know, you get some funny developers out there. I do it this way, and that's all there is to it. And, oh, yeah. you're telling me, man. We have them in Microsoft. <laughs> Prima no, If you want to use Vi or Vim or Emacs and use a command line, go go to it, you know. I, I dare say I'll beat you when it comes to doing code, you know, code uh, productivity. But if for some times, you know, doing Vi is the easiest thing. So just go use Vi. Right. It's just the way that folks actually want to work. Exactly. Or Notepad, whatever. Hey, now that you're on the team system team and you're inside of Microsoft, you mm-hmm. know you talked about twenty thousand developers or twenty thousand folks using team system. What teams aren't using team system? Mm. Oh wow, yeah. We're trying to get everybody over. There's a few right. people, you know. It, it takes time. Like we don't want to, for instance, you know, slow down the next version of Windows because we're yeah. trying to get all those guys over. Though some of those guys are coming over, you know. Or same with Office and things. So. People tend to move over um, as it comes to a natural point in the life cycle to move. 
So I, I don't know exactly which teams are not over quite yet, but TFS is definitely the standard going forward as to you know what people should be using. I just can't imagine checking Windows in to TFS. Yeah, it's quite freaky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm terrified. <laughs> you know, it supports big files. And one of the whole points of Team Foundation Server is, is it, it's one of the one of the problems that some people can run into. Uh, so TFS has this notion of workspaces. I don't know if you guys have run into those. And TFS likes to know what you're doing with your stuff. It likes to know when you check out a file. It likes to know when you when you when you you know start editing it. And um, it does that because of all these optimizations to enable really large workspaces. So um, if when you then say to the server, "Hey, get latest. Give me what's changed since mm-hmm. the last time mm-hmm. we did anything." The server already knows what you have and doesn't have to do like query the one billion files or whatever, you know, million files that make up, you know, one of these larger projects. Um, it can just look on the server and say, all right, yeah, you haven't these, haven't had these five yet. Here you go. Have them. So there's lots of optimizations in there to handle big projects, but it also right. works for small people now. Yeah, um, but I guess this is the balancing act. I, it's right. obvious to me that the ALM tools and team foundation and so forth have been improved by Microsoft using them, but they've been improved in a way that applies to really large projects. Mm. I, I just wonder how, I mean, I like the pricing model now with TFS only being $500, but does it still make sense for the four-man team? That was a lot of, uh, that was a big annoyance of mine back in, you know, the 2010, 2008 days when I was an MVP mm-hmm. was, look guys, you know, you're building this so it scales to a bajillion people, but I only have five or six people. I always used to say if a team doesn't fit on a bus or a coach, I don't know what you guys call it in America. Yeah, if a team bus. doesn't fit on a bus, then you're in trouble, basically, because you know, <laughs> you're going to have trouble running it. And um, so they did a lot of work in 2010 when it came to making it um, easier to install and more suitable for the, for the smaller teams. So you can now install TFS on your Windows 7 box um, if you want to. I have mine installed on Windows Home Server at home. Nice. Um, it just sits there happily you know you can install it you don't need to have sharepoint installed to be installed tfs anymore right. you can just um you don't need reporting services installed you can add those on afterwards and piecemeal and you know whatever it's a lot more uh, flexible now than it used to be so i think for the small developers um who might have looked at it in say 2005 2008 and, and walked away 2010 is definitely time to come back and have a look when it makes sense that you could just go with this base level of integration, just getting source control in place and knowing yeah. that you can later put the reporting and stuff in and all the data from your past work is going to be there. It's still there. That's the, that's the beauty. And and we, I find that people would either go, there's either one or two things they go for to begin with. It's either source control, if they've got a lot of pain around source control. And, you know, if you're in source safe, you know about pain around source control and you probably <laughs> want to migrate forward to a more yep. modern system. Or if you're in, um, or if you're in uh, doing work item tracking and, and things like that, a lot of people today, um, they may be happy with how they've got SourceSafe configured because, you know, to be fair, SourceSafe is actually quite a good system if it's not abused too much. You know, if it's if it's done for what it was designed for, it's still very good. Yeah. Um, and but they might have work items and things that are just stored anywhere. You know, I've been to meetings where somebody luckily we've got a spreadsheet of requirements that that was progress when they were captured in a spreadsheet. Um, but then, you know, you get halfway through the meeting and realize one guy was on a different version of a spreadsheet to everybody else. And oh. you know, I'm on version 4.4 final of this spreadsheet requirement stock. So being able to take all that work and store it in a repository is another area where people come to Team Foundation Server first. And then they'll generally adopt the other one. 
So if they started with work items, they'll go and adopt source control. If they start with source control, they'll adopt work items. And then they'll move into things like builds. And 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 then once they've got build automation happening, and it, you know, builds on every check-in, for example, continuous integration, that's when they'll start looking at reporting because now they've got all this data there that they can actually look at and say, hey, how, how are we doing? You know, where can we improve? You guys have improved a lot in terms of being in a quote-unquote open platform. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about, I mean, the open platform is obvious in terms of, you know, everywhere, but how yeah. else How else are you opening up Team System to, you know, to those who, you know, just think evil empire, you know, controlling <laughs> our every move kind of thing? Because yeah. that, that is what you come across, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I do. Community. You know, I go to a lot of, like, Eclipse and Java conferences, so I'm, I'm used to having a big, big target on my back. Yeah, I exactly. Them. So, um, yeah, it, it's... So there's sort of three different areas where where TFS um, where TFS excels and where it's good. Microsoft are a platform company. Microsoft are good. They're the best when they're building platforms for people to to hook into. Um, and so uh, TFS wants to be um, easy to use, ease of use, ease of access, and ease of integration. So the ease of access part is where is where I come in, you know, which is all about making sure Team Explorer everywhere, you know, you can hook in no matter where you're you're talking to from Visual Studio, from Eclipse, from the Mac, wherever. But it's not just about, um, it's not just about developers. You've also got uh, project managers and business analysts and testers and all those sorts of people. All those people are part of a software development process and they need to be in TFS as well. So, We've done some things lately. Uh, we announced at TechEd Europe uh, the uh, project server integration. So mm. the ability to, if you've got project server running in, in a PMO somewhere in your company, you can you can actually integrate that with Team Foundation Server. But the important thing is you can choose which level you integrate. So, you know, when I first heard about this, I was, I was a nightmare. You know, I'm going to get all my tasks appearing on some manager's Gantt chart somewhere and then complain as they move around. But you can control at what granularity gets synchronized up to project server. And then there are things by by making this um, the API available uh, for Team Foundation Server, making that easy for people to use and you know making these making people being able to plug into TFS. It also enables this this third party community which again I think that's developed a lot more since the last time you were looking at things. I remember once we were talking with Joel and you were talking about the third party community and it hadn't really it hadn't really come alive back yeah. then, I think two thousand six or something. Right. But um nowadays there's you know, like all sorts of Team Companion are a great guys. Have you seen have you seen those guys? Teamcompanion dot com? No, they do um an Outlook plugin for Team Foundation Server and oh, it's nice. amazing. It just gives you, you know, you're in Outlook but you're also in TFS and you can Take it, Adam Cogan. You know Adam. He loves it. Oh, I know. Yeah, he loves. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He loves to spam the RD alias with screen captures of uh, of his stuff in Outlook. Yeah, exactly. Circled things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and then we've got make, opening up as well. Like I say, you know, making it, the integration platform is another area on Coplex. Mm-hmm. This is a Coplex project that's contributed to both from people on the TFS team. But also ALM ranges, you know, people outside of the, the core team, hmm. um, and that is and enables people to hook in other systems into Team Foundation Server, work item tracking and version control. So. Are there any really fun plugins for TFS? I mean, you know, the, this work can get tedious sometimes. 
I wrote. A, I, did I ever told you about my build bunny before? I must have told you about oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. We've we love. In fact, Richard so, yeah, has yeah, one. Yeah, in a robot rabbit into Team Foundation server. That's well, cool. you know, I went and bought one because of you. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> but we've not gone bankrupt now. There was a bit of a problem where they were where they were going to go bankrupt, but somebody's bought them. So that's good. <laughs> I was a bit worried. Yeah, no. No, that's good. And then, you know, people hook in all sorts of things. I was talking to some guys from a company in the UK called Black Marble. And they have, in next to every meeting room, they have these, like these touchscreen, you know, HP TouchSmart things. And they've got this silver light thing built around it. And they can just go in and, you know, look at their build statuses and work items and just, you know, move stuff around on a task board. We've got a few people who've done uh, Urban Turtle, one example, who've done... Um, uh, scrum task boards on top of team foundation oh, cool. so you can you can you know use that to manage your team it's funny talking about scrum we actually use scrum now as well inside inside team foundation server team to to develop team foundation server we're a fairly agile team interesting i mean this is where you get into a whole other side of tfs which is mm. you diff these, these different methodologies for building software the team the, the tools got to comply yeah, which is when I started looking at, you know, I used to be a systems integration consultant back in the day and used to mm -hmm. use other vendors' products. And um, one of the things I really liked about Team Foundation Server was that you could pick and choose your process. You didn't have to go with the vendor's process. You could just, you know, oh, I'll have this one today. And and so we have the agile process, and which ships out of the box. Uh, and that's one actually my team use. You know, that's one we use to run our project. Even though we use, even though we are Scrum, we run as a Scrum team. We we use the agile template, mm -hmm. and then you've got a CMI template, which is for a more a richer set of um, auditability. Um, but we've also released the Scrum process template just recently. Um, let me see. If you go to tinyurl.com/scrum-template. Um, that's a, a scrum process template and that'll allow you to, um, it was written, you know, with a lot of the guys, um, uh, who were involved in the scrum community, um, to, you know, to make it a very scrum like template and, and work however you want. And we definitely see agile as a, you know, it's the way we run our projects and it's the way most people run their projects and have all, all those agile methodologies. Scrum definitely seems to be the, um, the winner the one that most people are adopting yeah. bits of anyway. So how so, different uh, is the Scrum template from the Agile template? Yeah, and, and Agile's a, a big word. What exactly does that m mean in terms of TFS? Okay, so with Team Foundation Server, you have the ability to pick a particular type of process you want to run this project on. Um, and we originally shipped um, a process template called MSF Agile, which is a, a lightweight process template. So, you know, it didn't have like requirements and things. It had stories and it had um, bugs and tasks. And that was about it, really. Um, and it worked very well for running Scrum teams. But a problem was, so Scrum is another is a is a is a, is a, is a particular process for running Agile. So if you go to Scrum.org, you can learn all about Scrum right. from clever people like Ken Schwaber and so on. And um, that way of running, you could do that with TFS using the Agile template, fine. But one of the problems was there was a bit of an impedance mismatch. Um, some of the words weren't quite right, and some like statuses weren't quite how if you picked up a book, a Scrum book, it would describe. And so the team sat down with those you know, a group of ex scrum experts and trainers um, and 
went through and built a template from scratch that matched the process exactly as it is in you know the scrum books and as it's taught by the professional scrum developer program um enabling them to be able to run a project using scrum and have all that data stored in team foundation server so we use the agile template in our team but other teams in tfs use the scrum template and then other teams use whatever template they want to use you know and it all all they emerges together would you say that's the killer feature of Team System 2000, uh, I'm sorry, TFS 2010? The process templates? Yeah. I would actually say the killer feature was how easy it was to install. I know that sounds weird for, like, it was just so And is it because it was now. difficult to install before? Yeah, yeah, it, was, it wasn't good. <laughs> and a lot of consultants were happy because they got paid a lot of money to keep it going. Right. But no, it, it wasn't easy to start using, put it that way. Yeah. Um, whereas in 2010, you can just... You, most people, everyone who's got MSDN has now got Team Foundation Server. You can install Team Foundation Server on any old box you got kicking around and start using it for doing source control and work up tracking. It's like back in the days of Source Safe, you know, when you, people just installed it and went, oh, yeah, what's this? Source control, brilliant. And it's all about, that's why I love being in this job because it's all about making our profession better uh, you know you, you find stuff you're doing is helping our the software engineering profession become more professional and helping people fall into the pit of success use things like source control use things like continuous integration and um and and scrum you know encourage people into a way of working which is going to help them deliver things that's all goodness yeah it's not just about the well first is about the process the tools are sort of supposed to come second but we tend towards grabbing the tools first. Yeah, well, you know, we're developers. That's how we think. And that's actually why I quite like Team Foundation Server because the process is the system, but it's also customizable. Right. There's nothing worse than a process that's just baked in and you can't touch it from then on. The process in TFS is customizable. And so as programmers, you're in a meeting and people will start saying, hey, you know, if we change this field so it went from active to pending to closed or, you know, People start describing the how they want to change the software development process. They start describing that in terms of features to a system because that's they can understand features to computer systems. That's what they do all day long. Um, and so by TFS codifying this and making it something that they can play with and tweak, you find people actually start proactively improving the process rather than just ignoring the process and leaving it in a manual on the side of a on the side of a workbench yeah it's an interesting part of it but you know the other element you're talking about here is more than just developers using these tools yes so you know project managers and testers you know about the the huge investment around um uh, testing in 2010 so the, the test management skew came along mm-hmm. test professional i can't remember what it's called test professional i think oh my marketing people are going to kill me when they hear this but anyway um and that's uh, microsoft test manager is a you know this product you can actually install a separate product um and manage test cases manage manual test cases and and then automate them just and store that data in team foundation server um and be able to get rid of that um you know, the problem, you know, a tester raises a bug and develop books and goes, oh, yeah, it works on my machine. You know, brilliant. That's no good. And want to try and make it so that a tester doing their everyday job can get all the data which shows a book and how to reproduce it. So that's what test management's all about. And all that feeds into TFS. That's in a set. TFS is, is the core to this. Everybody needs TFS before they can get all these other great features. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 
I'm excited about the sort of prospect of all of that. That's why I started thinking outside the the whole development box per se. Mm. But like I said, this is what that tool is actually built for, is to manage development projects one way or the other. But it, it also gets into the side of how does the customer feed new features in? Or, you know, is there some gatekeeping on that? But I hate to cut and paste from emails, you know, when the customer comes back and goes, well, that was really nice, but... Yeah, that's where that's where Team Companion comes in. You know, the partner product, which actually just can just turn an email into TFS work items. So that's a, a great part, a third party product, which we you know is enabled for all the extensibility hooks. Um, but you're right. Also, being able to capture it in other de- in other ways, you know, and being able to capture it from data that comes in into different systems. I, I talked with um, uh, a guy who used to Ed, Ed Blankenship. He used to work for oh, yeah. Infogistics. And um, yeah, we know. they had they built um, a system on top of uh, the Microsoft CRM that mm-hmm. actually hooked into you know they used the integration platform bits equivalent of earlier version of that which allowed them to hook into TFS and provide this link between their CRM system and their, and their TFS system that's actually managing the bugs day to day. So that was quite neat. Yeah, just like the, the fact that it's all open means there's other ways to pull that information in. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of focus groups, but there's lots of folks out there that are doing real usability testing with their apps these days. And you really want to be able to capture that information and make it, you know, I think it's very compelling to show a developer, this is how your customer's using your app. Mm. Now fix it. Yeah. And and have videos recording of it or, you know. Yeah. And, have that integrated as part of the process. Yeah. And the great thing about the test management skew, I, I really like as well is the fact that it's, because in Microsoft, again, Microsoft aren't like normal companies, as I've rapidly learned to discuss, <laughs> I've rapidly learned coming into the company. It, it's incredibly technical. You know, one minute you can, you know, you, you're just in a meeting room and you realize you, you are that you are actually the dumbest guy in that room. It's not just, you know, mm. you actually are the stupidest person there. And um, you, one of the things, our testers are very technical people. They're, 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 they're you know, they're software development engineers in test. They are hardcore developers that specialize on breaking stuff, which is great. That's not how testers work in the real world. Where I come from in the real world, testers are normally business focused. You know, they come from the business. They learn, they know how the business works, and then they are testing to make sure the requirement, you know, the the application does what the business needs it to do. Um, And so the test management skew in in 2010 enables them to, to track their test cases and automate the management of manual test cases if that makes sense so not automating the testing which it can help you with but more making those testers more productive showing them which things they need to test if a if a bit of code changed there's a cool feature in 2010 where they can um this test impact analysis so it'll when you're actually testing the code it'll look at which parts of your dotnet assemblies are being tested by that manual test plan and then or, or an automated test run and then when you change code it can actually suggest to the testers hey this bit of code that's been changed between these two builds these are the tests that are affected by it so these are ones you should go test first mm. to make sure nothing's broken it's pretty cool i'm just liking the idea that we're now pushing back onto the test team where to go look based on changes it's better analysis than just playing test coverage and that's because right. all this data is stored in one place yeah because all this data is in this one database now we can mine it in all sorts of ways we haven't even thought of yet i'm glad you said that because i can hear the the listener who's using the free tools out there saying why should i 
pay for this, you know, when, when there's plenty of good open source tools mm. for doing testing and doing continuous integration and, you know, and they're tried and true and people love them, but why? I mean, probably the biggest feature is just simply integration, right? Yeah. Yep. Integration and transparency. So yeah. it's all integrated out of the box. Don't need to do anything. Easy enough to use. And the the transparency that then gives you in terms of the data flowing across the different parts of the development process. Right. But also, I mean, if you want to use, when you're adopting Team Foundation Server, you maybe want to use, um, you know, maybe you want to stay with your cruisecontrol.net build or something like that. Or, you know, builds are always one of those areas that people are quite frightened of. Um, right. Because, you know, it kind of works and they don't really want to touch it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, stick with cruise control. Cruise control can talk to Team Foundation Server just fine. Um, it just uses it for source control. And you don't, the advantage of going to TFS for a build is um, you, you get that feedback loop completed, you know, mm. so data about the build is also being pushed into TFS. And that, that's how the test management product knows, you know, which uh, which things have changed between builds because TFS publishes the build data back in. So you don't get every everything if you're using out, you know, something else for builds. But yeah, you know, use what works. Just, just start using it. So Martin, is there anything left to be done in TFS? I mean, oh, are there... yeah, yeah, there's loads, isn't there? So I mean, yeah, we're at an interesting time because we're obviously all busy focusing on the next version. Um, so yeah, which we're not talking about yet. So <laughs> it's always challenging. But um, yeah, there's lots to be done. You know, in terms of you mentioned a few areas yourself where um, it would be really cool to um, you know how can we enable the different groups that are involved in the software development process better access into Team Foundation Server. So mm. we're doing quite well with developers today, though we could certainly make that even easier to use. But, you know, which other groups do we need to start looking at and, mm. and, and get them on board and get their data integrated? And then there's all sorts of, you know, there's lots of little features we want to improve all the time and make things faster and more efficient and things. Yeah. But no, there's plenty to be done. Okay. So I guess that means there's going to be another version. Yeah, let's hope so. I've got a job. Here, to I can't wait for the day where Microsoft says, "Hey, well, we're done. We're done. That's yeah, it. Yeah, no yeah. Can you see that happening? Yep. <laughs> Thanks very much. We got it right. Thanks we're playing. <laughs> and and interestingly, feeding that back into like my day job, which is that you know in the team explore everywhere, one of the key things I'm always I always stress with customers is that we we had a version of the Eclipse integration available the day that Team Foundation Server shipped as Team Prize. We had it when Team Foundation Server 2008 shipped. We had Team Explorer, well, it was Team Prize back then. The the day that Team Foundation Server 2010 shipped in April last year, Team Explorer Everywhere was available. And, yeah. and I would expect to see that continue in the future. So, you know, you're not just because, you know, the Eclipse people and cross-platform people aren't aren't some, you know, aren't just a person, you know, we, we keep on the side. They're, they're fully part of this. And that, that's been really interesting coming to Microsoft is even though we were a partner, before feeding in requirements now we're actually part of the team and so cross-platform developers pain is now is now the team's pain the team now owns that problem and it, it's been interesting to see uh, a change in priorities you know in terms of how features get stacked in in, yeah. in the full thing of what's got to get delivered for the next release of team foundation server to ensure that these cross-platform and you know these non-microsoft developers are are able to contribute as well as they possibly can. Are you listening to the community? Are you listening to, to tweets and blogs and Facebook accounts? And 
I suppose one of the surprising things about joining Microsoft, as an MVP, you we complain all the time. As an RD, you complain even louder all the time. Yeah. That's what we do. We're professional complainers to Microsoft. Right, right. You know, we're friends to them. We'll, 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 we'll speak nice about them. But when we're talking to Microsoft, it's complain, complain, complain. So if somebody has a feature suggestion or an improvement suggestion, how can they, how can they send it somewhere where it won't just evaporate into the ether? So if you go to um, the um, MSN blogs, so that's social.msdn.microsoft.com, mm-hmm. not blogs, sorry, the forums. Okay. Those forums are very closely monitored by the, the team themselves. So that's probably the best place. Always connect.microsoft.com as well to feed in specific, you know, bugs and features and things. Okay. Um, but we li- they're listening all the time, and Microsoft, have, I was surprised at how how much Microsoft are aware of their own failings, you know. So also we should probably mention that if you are are know of an MVP in the team space or an, a regional director in your area, you can always send those suggestions through them. Yeah, and you should see those guys pop up at your local .NET user groups. Absolutely. Time, so go go talk to those guys. Regional directors are are perfect for that kind of thing. We're we're yeah. the conduit that you need. Again, it's funny um, being you know the MVP and then coming into myself. It's Funny to see when you have an email from an RD or an MVP explaining why something needs to be changed or mm. why something's painful. It, it's amazing to see the difference in the team. How you know it's fair enough. Me as a program manager saying, "Hey, we need to go fix this." Yeah. But when a customer or an MVP comes in and gives you an email saying, "Hey, this is why we need to go fix this," people listen and people go, "Oh yeah, we do. Let's go change it." All right. Well, I hope uh, I hope you get some good feedback and. Here's to the next version, and here's to here's to you guys for 2010. It's good stuff. Yeah, thank you. And uh, here's to the new year as well. I hope you guys have a have, have had a good Thanksgiving. Hope you didn't eat too much turkey. Uh, just enough, personally. Yeah. And Richard doesn't celebrate <laughs> Thanksgiving. Good, on, uh, yeah, have, have a good new, have a good rest of the year. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Martin. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Yeah. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a